Well, it's so good to have each one of you here. If you're new tonight, welcome home. Welcome to the place that hopefully will love you best in all of your whole life, forever and always. But ideally, it's at least for your college years, right? So I'm John, clearly not Derek. I don't have the sick black flow going on up here. I tried to make up for it in my outfit. I got a, I, they say grout fit. I don't know if there's a black equivalent, but here we are. So anyway, I've been looking forward to tonight for quite a while now. Um, it has been on my heart to talk about what we're talking about. And um, yeah, so let's get into it. Um, when I was a freshman, I came into Chi Alpha at UNI because of Daniel Quimby, um, who has already talked about. Um, and just like all of you, I was a student here that I got involved. Um, I really love the community. And in fact, I had been friends with Pastor Derek uh, for a long, long time. In fact, we did things like track and field days back in elementary school. Uh, we played t-ball together and the infamous Quimby Olympics. Um, if you haven't heard of this before, the Quimby Olympics was a select group of the premier athletes <laughs> of our entire school. Um, we would compete all day long, going head to head, grunting in these sports that we would place in eventually. And at the end of the day, we'd get these little con cardboard, con no, they weren't cardboard, they were construction paper medals <laughs> that we could hang around our necks and say, you got first place in this event. Oh, what a good time. And Derek and I, through the years, have had some trying times in our friendship. Um, and we're fine now, so don't worry about it. Uh, but we've never had a stretching time such as the Great Fall of 2017. And what I mean, and the Great Fall, I'm talking about the fall semester of 2017. Um, you see, at my core, I'm a pretty competitive person. And the same goes for Derek. And so... When Derek had graduated college early, well, even before that, we had both felt called to vocational ministry, specifically inside of Chi Alpha. And so, when Derek graduated early, he was doing his internship a year before I could. Because we're the same age, I don't know if that always comes across. I might be a little bit more childish. I'm practically the same age as Derek, at least in years. And so... What happened was we were getting a little competitive in the fall trying to build our small groups because who doesn't want to have the biggest and best small group of all of the small groups to ever come through your campus ministry? I don't know. If you don't, then I can't identify with that. <laughs> but I was pretty much willing to do anything I could to get the best small group, and in the bad way. I would let the enemy speak over me that when I wasn't getting the most contact numbers at the beginning of the year, I would just let that seep deep into my heart. I let severe division come between us, and I don't really think that Derek felt the same thing. It was really most in my head. And for the same feeling, I felt like my calling to ministry was kind of invalidated because I wasn't the best. And it can sound silly now thinking about it, right, because... We're on the same team, right? We're for the kingdom of God. 
But the potentially fatal mistake that I had made through this is that I didn't ever like really talk to Derek about it. I didn't like seek restoration in this situation. And the thing that really exacerbated the issue, that made it worse, was that I would talk to Casey, my now wife, about it. And what I felt like was venting for me was something that would go on to make her feel poorly about Derek. Not like personally, she would have poor feelings towards Derek. And so my venting wasn't just hurting me, allowing the issue to get worse in my own heart, but it was actually affecting her heart as well towards him. I was allowing division to be created, and I know this isn't much of a funny story, right? But I was allowing division to come between me and Derek and Casey and Derek just because I felt like it was okay to vent about my feelings. And the road to restoration the relationship with me and Derek was not easy. In my heart, it wasn't easy in my heart because... I had damaged so much the image of how I saw him. And it was only made possible because I had a mentor who challenged me and he said, John, you need to be the best friend to the best friend that you've had for several years. You need to be his biggest cheerleader. You can't be in competition with him. And that's what I've tried to do since. And luckily, my feelings towards Derek have, they're better than they ever have been. He was the best man at my wedding. He's my closest confidant outside of my wife. And he's also my accountability partner that I share every part of my life with. And I've prayed a lot about this relationship with Derek. I confidently know that there is no bitterness left in my heart towards him. But for many of us tonight in this room, we can identify with the story that I've shared. And I believe many of us know this feeling of division or disunity inside of relationships. And some of us have a friend or family member that we do genuinely love, but we've let division seep deeply into our hearts. And there's a good chance that many of us have had a very apparent grudge in our hearts that we've held on to for a long time. Or maybe there's something that's a little bit more subtle that's going on in our hearts tonight. Maybe you don't even know that you hold bitterness towards someone in your heart. Maybe there's one of your friends who has deeply hurt you, but you justify this feeling that you have because you're right to feel that way, but you've held on to it for so long. Maybe some family members could have abused you in some way, which causes pain and heartache when you think about it. And some of us in this place have been hurt by somebody in the church that we've once respected. This is a non-exhaustive list of ways that we can be hurt, right? But all of these things can cause division in our hearts if we don't deal with them in the right way. So tonight, I'm hoping we can get there, or at least understand how. We're going to be making camp in the Beatitudes. We've talked about it over the past couple of weeks. Um, that's found in Matthew 5. And this is a section of the New Testament where Jesus specifically gives us a prescribed way to live, meaning that he gives us Direct instruction on how we should live. So before verse 9 in Matthew 5, Jesus has given instruction to be meek, to be hungry, and to thirst for righteousness, to be pure of heart. And up until this point, it's really easy to be excited and be like, yes, I like that stuff. Righteousness is really fun. To be pure of heart sounds really great. But then... We kind of see in verse 9 that he gives us a key, kind of a window into seeing how we can do this. And he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. 
Let's pray. Jesus, Lord, I pray that you would speak tonight. Lord Jesus, that you would be in each heart. You would open it up for the words that you have to say. And Lord, most of all, I pray that you would be the one who speaks. Jesus, we love you so much. Amen. So we can take a look at this passage. Let's ask, what does it mean to be a peacemaker? Who are the children of God? These are really great questions, and the text doesn't really elaborate much on what these things mean, but it does tell us one thing, is that children of God are peaceful. And children of God do not hold grudges, they do not avoid eye contact out of frustration, they don't give the silent treatment, things like that don't really seem very peaceful, right? And at the end of the day, there has to be a sacrifice made to God because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross which leads us to tonight's main idea. We must die to disunity so that we can live to peace. In The Cost of Discipleship, this book that we're working through in the sermon series, Dietrich Bonhoeffer attempts to help us understand what unity should look like. He goes through three specific ways that we should try to maintain peace in order to avoid division in every way. He starts with saying that we are to be set apart from the world, however, we are not to be divided from the world. This leads us to the first way that we are to die to disunity and live to peace tonight. Peacemakers cannot permanently divide themselves from the world. You've probably heard it been said before that we are in this world but not of it. But that's the thing. It never says we're not supposed to be in the world. We're not supposed to have silos where we only collect with our Christian brothers and sisters. We're not supposed to have these places where there is no contact with the outside world. And it may seem like a no-brainer that you should live at peace with everything in this world, but if you're anything like me, there are times when you can feel judgmental feelings creep into your heart towards those who don't know Jesus. In our context, what the world means is those who don't know Jesus, right? So ideally, you would all have friends who don't know Jesus yet. If you don't have friends who don't know Jesus, you're not even in this world. Which I know can sound bad. I Listen, I'm preaching to myself. I don't have a whole lot of friends who don't know Jesus. However, ideally, everybody would have friends who don't know Jesus. And you're building a... And when you do that, when you do have friends who don't know Jesus, you're building a strong, solid foundation of a friendship because you love Jesus and you love people. However, there are times when these friends who don't know Jesus can really get on your nerves. You may feel tempted to act passive-aggressively towards them, or worse, even shut them out of your life. And the way you react to them will determine whether or not there is division between you and them. So... Let's get to what Diedrich says. He says, The path of discipleship is narrow, and it is fatally easy to miss one's way and stray from the path, even after years of discipleship, and it is hard to find. On either side of the narrow path, deep chasms yawn. To be called to a life of extraordinary quality, to live up to it and yet to be unconscious of it is indeed a narrow way. To confess and testify to the truth as it is in Jesus, and at the same time to love the enemies of that truth, his enemies and ours, and to love them with the infinite love of Jesus Christ, 
is indeed a narrow way. To believe the promise of Jesus that his followers shall possess the earth and at the same time face our enemies unarmed and defenseless, preferring to incur injustice rather than do wrong ourselves, is indeed a narrow way. And to see the weakness and wrong in others and at the same time refrain from judging them to deliver the gospel message without casting pearls before swine is indeed a narrow way. You see, the promises of Jesus never include that your life will be easy, but that it will be good. The Christ follower won't find, con- won't find that conflict can be avoided, but rather that they need to deal with it in a healthy and peaceful manner. And this could come in forms of your roommates. A good portion of you can be frustrated with your roommates at this point in the year, which is totally understandable, because I've been there and I've done that. I remember my junior year of college, actually I lived with one Christian and I lived with two non-Christians, and in particular, one of my roommates, who at the time was a really good friend to me, was particularly opposed to the gospel, which in my most prideful season was a great irritation to me. When someone didn't want to hear the good news of God, I'm like, why though? How do you not want this? By the end of the year, I found that I was downright sick of being around him. I didn't want to deal with that rejection anymore. I was like, you know what? At any, any cost, I will avoid you. Which, like, I know that's not Christ-like, but I hope you can learn from my lesson, right? So... I let the rejection and irritation completely cloud my vision. That caused deep division to come between me and him. And I would love to share that there is a resolution to that story, much like my season of division that I experienced with Pastor Derek. But unfortunately, I haven't even talked to this roommate since we stopped living together. And I'm not proud of that, and I don't want that to happen to you either. So what's the next step? How do you avoid this? Great question. Glad you asked. I make the same three jokes over and over again. (laughs) For those of you in our LTC class, you've heard that for eight weeks straight, at least once a week. So how do you prevent this from happening in your relationships? The key is to leaving the rejection to Jesus. The key is leaving the rejection to Jesus. You can't take that rejection personally because it's not you that they're rejecting. Jesus says in Luke 10, verse 16, that the one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. It's particularly difficult to not take the rejection of a close friend personally, but when you feel anger or bitterness begin to enter your heart, you have to remember that we are peacemakers not allowing yourself to fall to division. So run to a trusted friend. That's my piece of advice. Run to a trusted friend who is also called to be a peacemaker and allow them to speak life over that relationship. What I wish I would have done my junior year is run to my roommate who is also a Christian and say, hey, I need you to speak life over this relationship. Show me that this person has some kind of, this sounds bad, but some kind of like benefit 
towards this relationship, before they even know Jesus, help me to see that Jesus loves them. But I didn't. So this brings us to the second way that we are to live to peace, which is peacemakers cannot be divided with each other. Bonhoeffer references Matthew 7, verse 16, where it says, You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Then Bonhoeffer says, Such a per- Listen to this. Read it, please, also. Such a pronouncement of Christ's could cause his disciples great anxiety. Who knows his neighbor? Who knows whether the outward appearance of a Christian conceals falsehood and deception underneath? No wonder if mistrust, suspicion, and censoriousness, which is like active, intense criticism, creep into the church. And no wonder if every brother who falls into sin incurs the uncharitable criticism of his brethren now that Jesus has said this. All this distrust would ruin the church, but for the word of Jesus, which assures us that the bad tree will bring forth bad fruit, it is bound to give itself away sooner or later. There is no need to go about prying into the hearts of others. All we need to do is wait until the tree bears fruit, and we shall not have to wait long. This is not to say that we must draw a distinction between the words of the prophet and his deeds. The real distinction is that between appearance and reality. Jesus tells us that man cannot keep up appearances for long, and the time of vintage is sure to come, and later we shall find out where a man stands. This is sure to be a wake-up call to us tonight. I'm not sure, and I am sure that many of you this year have experienced some sort of pain or conflict with somebody in this very community. There's probably somebody in this room tonight that over the course of this year, you have felt some sort of strife with. Kyle is not perfect. And the reason it's not perfect is because it's filled with imperfect people. Bonhoeffer may sound harsh at times, but I believe this is a plea of grace for those who are Christians around you. And look back, looking back at the packet, Ooh, passage, not package. There's no package up here. Anyway, he says, such a pronouncement of Christ could cause his disciples great anxiety. Who knows his neighbor? Who knows whether the outward appearance of a Christian conceals falsehood and deceptions underneath? No wonder if mistrust, suspicion, and censoriousness creeps into the church. And no wonder if every, listen, no wonder if every brother who falls into sin incurred the uncharitable criticism of his brother Now that Jesus said this, here he asks us not to scrutinize every action that people take, but be patient and see the outcome of the situation. When you wait for them to bear their their figurative fruit, then you will be able to see what kind of tree they are. Godly outcomes represent good trees, but divisive outcomes that put a wedge between you and your friend indicates a bad treat. This should be sobering to many of us tonight. If you see division between you and your roommates or between you and your small group leaders, maybe you should pray some restoration into your own heart. Tonight's stories, these illustrations, 
seem to be back-to-back -back stories of how I have not done things right in the terms of conflict. So back when Kyalpha was, was just kind of at its genesis, when it was, when the Quimby's had first taken over in 2015, there was about 15 to 20 students who came regularly, and I was not one of the regular students. I came a couple times the first semester. But because of the limited number of students and such a great need and a, such a small supply of leaders, a lot of people who should not have been leaders were leaders back then. This guy. So going into the next year, there was this new class of leaders in the ministry who weren't really ready for kingdom leadership. And obviously I was one of them. I was prideful. I didn't really read my Bible that much. I didn't really create community. I didn't really go and find my friends. So these six qualities of a small group leader that you've heard over the course of this year, I probably had maybe one of them. People Smart was not one of them. <laughs> Yikes. It's a dangerous com combination, everyone. Just know that our systems are your shortcuts now. If you have four of these six things, I'm so happy because like, the standards were not that great back then. And so there was, uh, yeah, it's funny. There was this freshman girl that was in the ministry and she had just started dating a student from a different campus ministry. And I thought that was a big no-no. <laughs> oh, man. Instead of realizing that I didn't have the re relational equity to say anything to her about it, I decided that it was a good idea. I was going for it. And I believe many of you youngsters would say I went full send on this one. I told her that she would one day have to attend the same church as her husband. Was I wrong? No. But I didn't stop there. I said, you know what, he might as well just come to Chi Alpha or you, or you should just break up with him. Oh, still, it still sends these shivers down my spine when I think about it. That was so stupid. Oh, I can't believe I said that. I'm not sure why I thought that was a great idea, but needless to say, she didn't like it, and she ended up leaving our ministry. It's a, that's a big mistake. Don't do that. I caused division that I probably can't fix now. So please try to learn from my mistakes. Don't end up making the same ones that I did, and when you encounter conflict with other Christians, don't say whatever you think before thinking, how will this make my brother or sister feel? You see, the way that you avoid causing conflict and dealing with conflict in a calm is by dealing with conflict in a calm and composed heart. You have to be willing to have open, candid conversation with somebody before it gets out of hand. So practically, I know you were asking for it, here's a list of things that you should do to deal with conflict well with your brothers and sisters. First of all, pray for them. You see, when you spend time in prayer for your brothers and sisters, there's a few things that happens. And in my experience, the first one is that your heart will get softened toward them. 
Second of all, you have time to think about what you're about to say. And, you know, there's probably a couple others. The second thing, look for truth. And so I'm guessing if you have division with somebody in this community because, I don't know, maybe they said something harsh to you, maybe they said something wrong to you, look for the truth in what they said. Take everything with a grain of salt. Everybody's imperfect here. But just know that there might be something that they're on to. The third one, have a conversation with him. Try your hardest to get a face-to-face conversation. Please avoid having it over text message. You know, when you have the face-to-face conversation, you can hear the heart in their voice. But when you have it over text, it's so much harder to get this emotion out. You can't see the love in their eyes towards you when you have a texting conversation about this conflict. That's a no-go. Fourth, pray with them. That's the other thing. When you pray for somebody, there's something different that God will do in your heart towards them. Much like praying for them, now when you pray for them, you should be praying blessing over their life. And so if they're struggling, if, see, here's the thing, hurt people hurt people. And so if you've been hurt by someone, there's a good chance they are hurting. So you should be praying for that situation in their life. And last of all, keep forgiving them. Forgiveness is not a one and done. Forgiveness is a process that needs to happen over and over and over again. So if you've ever been frustrated with someone, it's real easy to fall back into that frustration towards them. So it's almost like a cycle. When you get frustrated, start at step one. Work your way to step five. And if you need it again, restart the cycle. Probably, I mean, you don't have to have the conversation more than once. Maybe that's the one you could leave out. But pray with them, pray for them, love them well. And if you practice this list, your interactions with people who frustrate you most easily will become tolerable, if not pleasant. We cannot underestimate the power of prayer. God loves when his people have love and respect for each other. This brings us to the last way that we can be peacemakers. That is, peacemakers must remain pure of heart. In order to be peacemakers, we must know where our heart is when we act. When we act in service to our king, being Jesus, we must evaluate what we are doing and who we are doing it for. In order to be pure of heart, you cannot be acting in self-service which is what I can fall to, quite frankly, easily. And so Bonhoeffer says, at this point, Jesus reveals to his disciples the possibility of a demonic faith which produces wonderful works quite indistinguishable from the works of the true disciples, works of charity, miracles, perhaps even personal sanctification, which means looking more like Jesus, but which is nevertheless a denial of Jesus in the life of discipleship. This is just what St. Paul means in 1 Corinthians 13 when he says it's possible to preach, to prophesy, to have all knowledge, and even faith so as to remove mountains, and all this without love, without Christ, and without the Holy Spirit. 
More than this, St. Paul must even reckon to the possibility that the very works of Christian charity, giving away one's goods, even martyrdom, which is dying for your faith, must be done, may be done, without love, without Christ, and without the Holy Spirit. Without love, that is to say, in all this activity, that activity of discipleship is absent. Namely, that activity of the doer of which is in the last resort none other than Jesus Christ himself. Here is the most serious, most incredible satanic possibility in the church. The followers must ask by what ultimate criterion Jesus will accept or reject them. Who will pass the test and who will not? The answer lies in the words of Jesus to the last of the rejected, I have never known you. So what does that mean? At the end of this, this means that we can do all of the right work. We can do everything right. But if it's not for the right reasons, if you have not spent time with Jesus, he has never known you. What more is there to say? None of us want to get to the end of our lives thinking that we have served our lives out, sacrificing everything just to hear Jesus say that he has never known us. So please spend time with Jesus. It's so much more than what divine brownie points can I earn. There is no earning. You can't get there on your own. You need to know him and be known by him. If you have ever had a season where you feel burnt out, remember the words of Paul in Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. He says, Let the one who is, who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whoever, whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Sounds a lot like the sixth one of a small group leader, the grit to keep going. It's a good word. So I've had my fair, share, my fair share of seasons that I grew weary and burnt out because I didn't spend time with Jesus, but I did the good things for him, and one of which was when I worked at a summer camp in the summer of 2018. I'd been working many hours serving children who the staff would pray to encounter God for real, but by the end of the summer, I didn't get the refreshing time in with God that I actually needed. I was burnt out by the beginning of the school year, and I felt like in that season, I heard Jesus ask me to be with him before I worked for him. Tonight, some of us need to hear that. Be with him before you do the work for him. Worship team, want to come up? At the end of the day, what we need to keep in perspective is that it's not over. 
If you are years into your discipleship journey with Jesus, don't let anything get in the way of your relationship with Jesus. And if you're just starting it, write it on your forehead. My mom always made this joke. She would, like, write on a card, you know, the three by five or whatever, and she'd actually put tape on it and put it on my forehead. (laughs) It was goofy. I don't know why I just said that. (laughs) Write it on your forehead. Spend time with Jesus. Spend time with Jesus. Spend time with Jesus and everything else will come. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. My plea to you tonight is to take an objective look at why you're here. Do you love the culture of Chi Alpha more than you love God? Do you love being around this group of people more than you love being in the presence of the living God? Can you imagine life without God? And does it look similar to the way that you live your life right now? Or maybe you're good with God, but you've let division come between you and someone in this room. Maybe you've let bitterness get in the way of your ability to spread the kingdom. Stand with me, will you? The wonderful thing about Jesus is that he's a God of second and third and fourth and fifth chances and so on. But you have to receive this call back to him that he's extended to you. So can you bow your head with me tonight? Tonight there's two ways to respond. The first of which is for those of you who have never called Jesus King. And tonight you not only want to spread the peace that he has for you to spread, but also you want his peace in your heart. Let me just tell you this real quick. Jesus came to this earth. He knew what you were going to live your life like. He loved you so dearly that he saw that it was appropriate to take all of this sin and die on the cross and love you so deeply. Not only that, but he rose and put sin, death, hell, and the grave in its own place. And you have the chance to accept him into your heart tonight. And if this is you, will you raise your hand? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, we love you so much. God, we pray for these people who are giving their lives to you tonight, God. Thank you, Jesus, for this chance to come to your your feet, Lord, and to experience this peace. God, would you help us to be the messengers of this same peace to those around us? Thank you, Jesus. The second way to respond tonight is if you already walk with Jesus, but you wish to pursue unity in every area of your life, if this is you, know that it takes not only hearing the Word of God, it takes not only doing the Word of God, it also takes hearing and doing for all the right reasons. To be known by Jesus. So let's vow to be a people tonight who let the seed of peace grow in our hearts. Let it develop into a mature, fruit-bearing tree. Let's allow Jesus' image to flow 
in us and through us to this campus. Let's live like the children of God that we are. Tonight, let's be people who worship Jesus by living as closely to his life as possible. And when we make mistakes, which we will, let's hearken back to the day that Jesus was on that cross and died for us. Then we can experience the same unity that he has with the Father and extend that love that he has for us to those around us. So if you're in this room tonight, would you just pray with me? Jesus, Lord, help us to be your messengers of this gospel, Lord, of this peace. Lord Jesus, help us to experience you daily, God. And Jesus, at the end of, end of time, Lord, would you tell us that you know us and love us, Holy Spirit. Would you help us to do the right things to get there? Jesus, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. If God has done something in your heart tonight, I encourage you to come up and pray with somebody that is on the response team. They would love to be praying for you and with you through these relationships that you are seeking restoration in tonight. Let's worship. Let's worship.